Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. I'm so excited to be here tonight. My name is Pastor Jake. I'm our youth and young adults pastor and uh, uh, just honored to preach tonight. So excited. I just wanted to show you my son. Um, we, uh, don't put up the picture yet. Don't put up the picture yet. But uh, we haven't, he, he, we're having a tough time getting him in church, everyone. So pray for my son. All right. He's five months old. He's rebellious. He needs Jesus. Like he just refuses to come to church. But it's soon. Uh, but we have the fall festival coming up, and so he's going to be Cookie Monster. He's five months old. Um, he's amazing. And so I just want to show you his 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 costume for the fall festival. Is that okay? Can we put up my son? His name's Rio. Can we throw? Look at him. That's my little nugget. My little nugget. He's, uh, I made that, I made that, you know, me and my wife, um, but it was amazing, he's half Mexican, um, so I'm Cajun, he's half Cajun, French, actually I'm a mixture of things, but I just identify with the Mexican, he's Hispanic, he's 100% Hispanic, um, and so viva la Mexico, come on, amen, go Doyers, um, yeah. my son will speak Spanish, in Jesus' name. He spends a lot of time with Abuelita, and she speaks a lot of Spanish. So when he gets mad at me when he's older, him and my wife can talk trash on me, and I will have no idea what they are saying. So I got to learn. I got to learn. I'm excited for tonight. You guys excited? Now, you guys are a little bit more excited about LeBron James' return to the Lakers. Are you excited to be in church tonight? Come on. How many watched that game last night? I watched it. That was crazy. We need to pray for Rondo throwing punches. It was crazy, but it was, it, was inter, it was entertaining. Come on. Help us, Lord. Psalms 23. Psalms 23. Uh, the title of my talk tonight is The Promise Pasture. The Promised Pasture. The Promised Pasture. Psalms 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, what a, what a chapter, what a writing. We're gonna also going to jump to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 7, it says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. And a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. What does it mean that God is our shepherd? What does that mean? I think in Orange County, I think the concept of being a shepherd or shepherding sheep uh, is pretty lost on us. You know, am I the only one? Does anyone know how to shepherd a sheep, a herd of sheep? I don't. I don't. I uh, spend a lot of my time watching Netflix. I would not know how to, to be a shepherd. Um, I think a lot of us don't spend a lot of time in the pasture. Uh, so sometimes this metaphor is actually lost on us. Sometimes this metaphor maybe even goes over our heads and the depth and the gravity of really what it carries, um, we miss sometimes because we miss 
the perspective that they would understand. They understood the perspective of a shepherd. They knew the job of a shepherd. They knew the occupation of a shepherd. They understood what it, it required of someone to be a shepherd, what it required of someone to, to herd the sheep. It, it wasn't an easy job. It wasn't a glamorous job. It wasn't a job that everyone desired. And it required everything from you to be a shepherd. See, David was writing this beautiful song. See, the Psalms are ancient songs, like, uh, like songs of our day, the, the top 40. This is a top 40 that's lasted for thousands of years. It is the top hit of his day. And he wrote this as a shepherd in the field, watching his sheep as a teenager. They believe that David was anointed to be king at 15 years old, and he was appointed to be king at 30 years old. So that means a 15-year gap between being anointed and being appointed, and he is sitting in the pasture after being anointed king in front of all his brothers, and he goes back to herding sheep, and he writes this song, talking about how God is our shepherd. But what is the job of a shepherd? What does it do? See, I, like I said, I think most of us in here may not understand what the occupation actually entails. We think that it's maybe you just watch over and make sure they're okay and check up on them and then leave them for the day. It wasn't a nine to five job. It wasn't you clock in, you clock out, and then you go home. It was something that required everything from you. Your time, your schedule. You, you, you couldn't keep it, you couldn't take your eyes off of them. You were the shepherd. See, a shepherd was there to protect from predators. It says when David was in the field that he used his sling to kill bears and lions to protect the sheep from predators. A shepherd is there to guide us to a safe place. A shepherd is there to heal us from sickness or pain. See, when a, 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 one of the sheep would get sick or would get hurt, the shepherd would spend extra time and extra care making sure that it would get back to health. It would, it would spend time. It would carry it. It would lift it. If it could not walk, it would carry it on its shoulders and make sure that it would be nursed back to health because the shepherd's job was not only to protect, not only to guide, but it was to heal. It was the shepherd's job to save a sheep if it got lost. So if the whole herd was there, what the shepherd would do, if one sheep would walk away, it would go and make sure that it would find that sheep and bring it back home. Because if you read throughout the Bible and you study about sheep, they actually have a tendency to get lost. And the shepherd's job was to make sure that if they got lost, they came back home. If, if they lost their way, that they, they, they didn't get too far away. The shepherd was there to protect. He was there to guide. He was there to heal. He was there to save. He was there to provide. He would provide food. He would make sure that they would go to a green pasture where they could eat good food and they, and, and they would be healthy and strong. And a, and a shepherd's job was to love sacrificially. See, if someone was to attack the herd, the shepherd would lay down its life before he would ever let a sheep die. Before he would ever let a predator come, he would lay down his life first. Before he would ever let a thief come, he would, he would lay down his life first. It required us, a, 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 a shepherd to lay down their life sacrificially. And we see that David had a perspective of God that you and, I, you and I may not have because he was a shepherd. So when he's writing this, he's writing and understanding what it required of a shepherd and he's looking at God and recognizing you are my shepherd. As I am a shepherd to these sheep and I protect them and I guide them and I save them and I heal them and I provide for them. God, how much more do you do this for me? See, David had a perspective that you and I don't have because he was a shepherd. He understood what it required. He understood that it required that you give your life 
And he's recognizing something that you and I may not recognize with God. Because sometimes when I read Psalms 23, I don't have, I, I look at myself and says, is my relationship with God that way? Because if we're honest, sometimes when life hits us hard, God doesn't feel like he's leading and guiding us. God doesn't feel like he's putting us by green pastures and, and still waters. Sometimes it feels like he's distant, he's far, he's not here, he's not there, and I can't find him. So sometimes when I read this, I don't understand the perspective, but I begin to recognize something that David saw, something that I do not. Is he knew the occupation of a shepherd. He knew what it required. So he knew what to recognize. See, there's a key. There's a key in order to, to see this. There's a key in order to know who your shepherd is. See, David gives us his key in verse number one. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So number one, he, says he recognizes who's in control. And then number two is he denies his wants. He denies his feelings. He recognizes you're the shepherd. I'm not going to live for what I want anymore. It's, it, there's a fun fact about sheep. You know, I don't know a lot about sheep, so I went on YouTube, right? YouTube's amazing. And I found out a crazy fact about sheep. That a herd of sheep, if you put up pictures of the other sheep in their herd, they will actually recognize the faces up to 50 other sheep of the sheep in their herd. They will recognize them. So when they die, they recognize when they leave. They recognize when they're not there anymore. They can, that's how they recognize their mate. They can recognize up to 50 faces of different sheep. They also can recognize up to 10 different faces of human beings. And they also can recognize their voice. So the shepherds that shepherd them, they actually recognize who's in control by their face and their voice. So what's interesting is a sheep would know who was in control by looking at them. But when they couldn't see them, they would know who's in control by their voice. See, this teaches us something about God. Because there's times that we may not see God's evidence in our life. But we have to know that His voice is still speaking. So when we can't see His face or His evidence, we look for His voice. And there's something that we have to recognize who's in control. We recognize who's controlled not by, by everything going great in our life and maybe our bank account's not full and maybe it's not going the way that we wanted so when things don't look the way that you want them to look find the voice and stop looking for the face and still recognize who's in control and David says this the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want so I'm not going to live for what I want anymore See, this is the dichotomy that you and I struggle with. And this is why I oftentimes feel that Psalms 23 goes over my head and I don't experience it the way David did. Because we love the, the term, the Lord is my shepherd. But I want to live for what I want. The Lord is my shepherd, but I still want the cars. The Lord is my shepherd, but I still would want this house and the Lord is my shepherd and I still want this and I still want this and we live for what we want and still try to recognize God as our shepherd but that doesn't go together see in order to feed on God's goodness and his character we must follow his direction and in order to follow God's direction we have to deny what we want so David gives us the key so we all love the verse that says when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death you will lead me and you will guide me but oftentimes the reason why we get stuck in the valley is because when the shepherd is trying to lead us out we're saying but I still want this but I still want this but I still want this I still want this I still want this and we're grasping onto what we want rather than allowing the leader to lead us where we need to go. So in order to get God's character, his direction, his nature, to feed on his goodness, 
We have to follow his direction. We have to follow his leading. See, God has a pasture, this promised pasture in Psalms 23. It's actually available and waiting for all of us. This was a picture of David's relationship with God, his, his opportunity and his connection that he had with God. And this is available to you and I. Psalms 23 is available to us now in these modern times, in these difficult times, in these painful times. We have the availability of Psalms 23, a shepherd who can lead us and guide us to still waters. And he can provide for us in pastures and he can guide us through dark times and dark valleys even when we can't see his face because we can recognize his voice. He can provide a table in the presence of our enemies, all the haters that you've had in your life. Guess what? God will say, hey, I know you've been hated on, but if you trust my voice, those haters can't keep you down because the haters did not dictate your direction. I do. He's saying all of this is available. Surely your goodness and mercy. All of this is available to you and I. But there's a key to it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In James chapter 4, it's a modern picture of, it's a New Testament now verse on maybe I think this Old Testament concept of allowing God to be in control. See, when James was writing the book of James, he was not writing it to people who did not believe. He wasn't writing it to unbelievers. See, oftentimes Paul would be writing his letters to people who were new believers or who maybe they they didn't know the law. See, but James was writing his letter to Jewish people who knew the law and knew better and they already believed and he is encouraging them in their faith. So when he comes at it from that perspective, Listen to what he says in James chapter 4, verse 6. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. God opposes the proud, or resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When I read this verse, I was like, That's actually a scary verse, if we think about it. It didn't say that God doesn't love us. No, he still loves us. But it says a word that we have to understand. It says God opposes, he resists the proud. So that means anytime pride is present, God is resistant. Anytime pride is present, God is distant. See, oftentimes we see the goodness and the grace of God and, and, and we preach on it and it's unearned and it's unmerited and that is true. And it says God gives much more grace, but he's not speaking to people who are unsaved. James is not. He's speaking to people who are already going to heaven, but he's, what he's speaking to is their walk with God. And he's saying, guess what? There's areas in your life that there is resistance and distance between you and God, not because he's mad at you, not because he doesn't love you, not because he doesn't want to give you the grace that you need, but there is pride present. And when pride is present, God is resistant. See, oppose or resist in the original language means to set myself against, to position myself against. Pride is trying to go beyond what God directs by relying on self. Trying to go beyond what God directs. Or maybe God says, hey, I need you to do this. And he says, okay, cool, I'll do this and this. That's like what, when, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Sometimes you say, the Lord is my shepherd, but I still want. Yeah. That's pride. The young people call this being extra. Like you're just extra. You ever met that person <laughs> at work? They're just extra. They're just like, 
no, you're too much. You're trying way too hard. Like the boss does not notice you. Come on, chill out. Like they're just extra, right? Some of us were just extra in life. We're just extra with God. Well, God, if I just worship harder and pray harder and scream louder in my closet, I know that you'll give me grace. So my prayers is the thing. Prayer is good, but actually it's not what you do that makes it work because then it's going to be relying on your action. So oftentimes we are so extra with God. God says, can you put your faith in me, be humble, and I'll give you grace. And we say, yeah, I can do that, but I also can do this and this and this. God, did you know I could preach? God, did you know I could lead worship? God, did you know I could do this? God, I could do this. And we start adding these things and saying, this is added onto the salvation you gave freely. And God says, no, there's resistance there. You're you're doing too much. You're being too extra. You know, extra chewing gum? I'm trying to start something. I call it, if someone's being extra, I'm saying, you're being chewing gum. You're just being like, and they don't understand. I love doing that because I play games with them. And they're like, oh, what does that mean? I'm like, oh, you'll get it later. <laughs> you're just being extra. Pride is trying to go beyond what God directs, but by relying on self. Humility is spiritually submitting and giving God complete control. Spiritually submitting and giving God complete control. See, pride can be present when we think we're being humble because that's called false humility. Because false humility is still can be extra. Oh, you know, pastor, just waiting my turn. Just waiting. Waiting for God to speak. God did speak. He said, go and make disciples, and you're not. Hey, you just, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. See, oftentimes we use that as a ploy to, to, to get promoted and saying that I, I'm just humble. Now, God says, hey, obey what I've said to do. Don't be ashamed. If I said you need to go out and and I've called you to ministry, I've called you to these things, don't be ashamed of what God's called you to do, but don't don't act like, oh, I, you know, I don't know. No, God says, hey, that's pride. I will resist and I will oppose that. Humility is a spiritual action of saying, God, you are in control. You are in complete and utter control. See, I was uh, once again on YouTube, and um, I was studying what makes a magnet a magnet. Does anyone know this? This is so interesting. I didn't obviously do very well in chemistry that I didn't know this until I went on YouTube. Um, but there's certain metals that have elect- like a, electrons that, that surround it. It's a force that surround these certain metals and certain things. And, 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 and in order for it to be magnetized, all the electrons actually have to be going in the same direction. So how you demagnetize something, all you need, you don't need all of them to go in the wrong direction. All you need is one electron to go in the wrong direction in order for it to be demagnetized. This is crazy. I know. This is, it blew my mind. This is crazy. So, uh, I, I was studying magnets. I said, this makes sense. So, John Paul, can you come on up? Come on, let's give it up for John Paul. He's amazing. All right. So, flip it around. Flip. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so right here is pride. And this is God's grace. And this is a magnet. So we're going to try to put them together. Put them together. There's resistance. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you push, No matter how how much you do, you you cannot get them together because they're going in the wrong direction. The electrons are going in the wrong direction. And see, this is how our life is. Hey, God, um, 
I just need you to, to come and heal me and, and I need you to come and do these things for me. But I, I just need control of my relationships and my family. As long as I have control of that, we're good. But then we're trying to, we're trying to get grace with our family, but there's, there's, there's no grace. And it's not because God doesn't want to give it, but he said that there's, your, your, your heart is in the wrong direction. Your heart is, is not going in the same place. And so I cannot give you the grace that you need, not because I don't want to, but because I am resistant and distant from pride. So when we take life into our own hands, we take it out of God's is what it's saying. So any area in our life that we are taking out of God's hands is an area that there's resistance and distance in our life. See, how can you tell where there's pride in your life? What are the areas we feel the most resistant and distant from God? I know this is a sermon that's like, people are like, ah, I don't like that. I get it. I get it. It's all good. That's why we're here, right? What are the areas that we feel the most, not resistance in the sense of God's taking us deeper, but resistance and distance where we feel like God is not there. Because if God is ever present and he's omnipresent and he's omniscient and he knows everything and he's omnipotent and he has the power to heal everything, what are the areas that we feel that God is not there Oftentimes, these are the areas that we're taking into our own hands. Oftentimes, these are the areas that we are not allowing the shepherd to lead us and guide us and direct us. Oftentimes, our desires are going this way and God's direction is going this way. See, this is what happens is there's, there, there, there's a, a battle on the inside of us as human beings is our desires and our wants always go in the opposite direction of God's grace and his direction. See, there may be some things that line up. God says, hey, you know, I want to bless you. I want to do these things, but I need you to let me do what I need to do. And so our desires, so oftentimes we live by how we feel. We live by our desires. We live by what's lacking. We live by what we don't have. And we look at God and say, God, I don't have this and I don't have that and I don't have this and I don't have that. And then there's resistance and there's distance because we're so concerned about what we lack, what we don't have and what we want that we aren't listening to the voice and saying, hey, why don't you just listen Listen to me and let me take you where I'm taking you because the promised pastor in Psalms 23 says, God will take you to what you need. It says this in Psalms, and I'm forgetting the exact chapter, forgive me, um, but it talks about the children of Israel and how they worshiped God. And it says this, it says, after he parted the Red Sea, then they worshiped God. But then the next verse, it says, but then they forgot his works. And begin to complain. And throughout this chapter it says God would do a miracle. And says then they worship God. Then the next verse says then they forgot his works. Then they worship God. But then they forgot his works. Then they worship God. Then they forgot his works. And it says they cried out for what they wanted. So God gave them what they wanted. But I said this to our youth. Oftentimes when we live for what we want. We lose what we need. So the Israelites live for what they wanted. God, I, why don't you just let us stay in Egypt for food so he provides food? God, why don't you let this, why, why are we in the wilderness? You said you're leading us to a promised land. And God says, I was giving you a promise because guess what it says in that chapter? I believe it's Psalms 41. It says, then they became angry at the promise. They became resistant to the promise. 
As long as we resist God's direction, the longer we resist it, the longer, then all of a sudden, not, now is it not God resisting us, but it's us resisting God. Yeah. See, God's trying to give us grace. But if we live for this, I call it, then they worship. Yeah. Then they worship. Oh, God, you gave me the money I needed. Now, oh, thank you, Lord, you provide. But when we don't have any money in our bank account, what are we, God, why aren't you providing? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you, oh God, you gave me, oh man, you healed our family, but the next fight in Thanksgiving that's coming up and you're already thinking about it. Oh God, I, I, I thought you healed families. I thought you healed marriages. I thought you did this. I thought you, and so we base our praise and our worship off what he does for us, not who he is. And we lose sight of what this is all about. We think God has to earn our love. We think God has to earn our worship. And we're saying, God, if you can do this, then I'll give you this. But God says, just lead, let me lead. Let me take you where you're going. See, what's crazy about the Bible is oftentimes the things that we think are sin, we get rid of in our life, right? Those are the easy things. Well, you know, God, I'm not going to be addicted anymore. I'm not going to sleep around. I'm, I'm going to be focused on you and I'm going to be pure and I'm going to be holy and I'm, I'm not going to drink. I promise you, I'm not going to smoke. God, I promise, right? We worry about these big things. But well, you know what else it says in the Bible that is sin? It says when God speaks, and you disobey, that is sin. See, oftentimes we think of the actions of sin. But we never think of the disobedience to God's voice as sin. Because oftentimes if you obey God's voice, you will avoid the situations in order to disobey His law. So when you're, when, you know, young people, when you're in the backseat of that car with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, and you hear God say, hey, go home, it's too late. That's not God. <laughs> Pastor Jake, you don't understand. We're pure. We're pure. God says, hey, get out of that car. No, we're pure, God. Next thing we know, we're in a bad situation. We set ourselves up for failure. We set ourselves, hey, God, you may be in business, businessman or woman, and God says, hey, that person doesn't do business ethically. Don't get in business with them. No, God, they're, they're, you don't understand. Did you see their business plan? It can make me some money. No, no, no. I just trust me. Just trust me. God, you, uh, you don't get it. You don't like. That's not God. Like, God wants to bless me. This is millions. Next thing you know, we're in jail for a Ponzi scheme. It's like, what is going on? It's interesting, though. The voice of God is given to us as a gift. But we treat it as a, as a reprimand. We always look at it as something that's painful. But we don't understand that pain is to remove maybe someone so he can take us where we need to go. And so God is saying, when you disobey my voice, that is sin. So when God says, hey, go and ask that person for forgiveness, even though you did nothing wrong. God, okay, I'll do it. Hey, why don't you talk to that family member that you have, you, you, there's a broken relationship, and why don't you be the person that initiates the healing? Why do you, well, instead of praying for the healing to come, why don't you be a part of the healing? Even Pastor Ben talked on, on Philippians chapter 4 this morning, and all of that was about is God's provision. 
right? The whole chapter is about how God's provision. And Paul is writing this from prison. And what's interesting is it, it, it says exceedingly abundantly, but God will provide all that you need, it says in that chapter. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's so many great one-liners in Philippians chapter 4. But you know what God's provision is? It's God's people. God's people are God's provision. If you look at the Philippian church, Paul is thanking them for being what he needed when he needed it. And he's saying, God used you as the provision for my life, so now I'm going to pray that God brings his provision on your life. See, sometimes we need to be the provision and healing that, that, that in our situations that are broken. And we're saying, God intervene, God intervene. And God is saying, I am intervening through you. Why don't you be the intervention? Why don't you be the bridge? Why don't you be the healer? Why don't you be the one who, who moves forward? And instead of creating what you want, live for where I'm taking you. Because wherever there's pride, there's resistance and distance between us and God. The keys can come on up. I'm finishing. Where you hear the voice of God, you give up control. John Paul, come on back up. He's here. He's... Come on, let's give it up for John Paul. Isn't it amazing? Just stood up here. But what's interesting is it says he gives much more grace to the humble. Much more grace. I wonder how much grace we would live with live with in life if we were always the ones who would submit what we wanted and said, God, I don't feel this way. I don't feel like doing that, but I trust you. Because sometimes God's direction isn't comfortable. Sometimes God's direction doesn't make sense. Sometimes God's direction is confusing in our human brains, but it's not in his brain. He knows where he is. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And there may be certain situations and circumstances that you don't see coming yet that he does, and he's just protecting you. There may be seasons where you're at the presence of your enemies. But you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of that battle that I've been battling. I'm looking at it in the face. And guess, guess what, God? You will bring provision in the middle of my battle. You will bring provision in the middle of the things that have been opposing me. I think oftentimes we look at enemies as just people. Why don't we look at enemies as opposing situations in life? says God will make a table in the, in the presence of your opposing situations and circumstances. And he'll bring a blessing to that. The most painful areas in your life, the most shameful areas in our lives, the areas we want to hide, the areas we want to, we wish we could get that, you know, the, the magic eraser guy, the bald guy, and you have the magic eraser that you wipe off scuffs off the wall. My mom had one because she had three boys and we destroyed the house. So she just would always magic erase the walls. Sometimes we, we, we just want to magic erase that moment that we made a mistake. And we try so hard to make up for it. And it's an opposing situation. But the thing about grace is in the middle of your most opposing situations and maybe your shameful moments and your broken moments and the times you didn't live up to God's standard and the times you didn't get it right in marriage and the times that you didn't say the right thing as a parent and the times that you, you maybe didn't listen to the voice of God. God says, I prepare a table in the presence of your opposition. Or how about you're in a dark season, in a dark valley? 
See, sometimes the direction of God, it's pretty clear to see. But like I said, there's sometimes that you can't recognize the face of God in your life. But in those seasons, you have to go searching for the voice of God. I think of Elijah the prophet. He went up to a mountain. He says there was fire, there was wind, there was lightning. But he did not move until he heard the still small voice. Life is always trying to bring the things that are louder than God's voice to get you to follow those things. So maybe you're in a dark place. Maybe you're in this dark season and it's easier to go by every noise that you hear when you're in the dark. You ever been in the dark and just heard something and freak out? Like for real. Like I'm not home alone often anymore because I'm married. So when I am home alone, I swear, I have the butcher knife right next to me and I hear anything, I'm like, I'm going to kill someone. I, like, I don't know what it is. I just freak out just because the dark makes everything scarier. Right? Like you're like, I, you know, and you become the toughest person in the dark. I'm going to fight you. Like I will. I'm not afraid. Like, I promise you. Like, you know, and then it's like my wife coming home and I'm like, have a knife. And she's like, oh, like, I'm like, sorry, I thought you were a robber. You know, she's like, how old are you? 10? I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes those dark seasons, it's easier to follow every little noise. We react to every little noise. We react to every little thing, right? So we're walking through a difficult time in life and, and situations can be difficult. The easiest thing to do in that moment would be to react and go based off how you feel. Oh, did you hear what they said to me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them. I'm going to get them. Man, that family member, they just don't get it. Maybe they don't. But instead of trying to find the face of God in the dark season, because it may be difficult, because it's a, it's a part of life. The brokenness of our world and the hurtingness of our world does not speak to the absence of our God. It just requires us to focus on His voice sometimes rather than seeing His face. But there's something about being spiritually submitted to God's direction. And when your soul is submitted to God's direction as when there's pride and, and God's resistant and distant when there's humility there's something that happens that, that you, you can't get the grace of God off your life you can't even if you wanted to see look when there's humility and there's submission to God's direction there's something that happens you be get stuck together like a magnet and God is now stuck to you and you are stuck to him so even if you wanted to get lost, guess what the shepherd's going to do? He's got his rod and his staff and he says, hey, come over here. You're, gonna, you're reacting too much to that noise. Come here. Okay, God, um, here we go. Sorry. God, I wanted to cuss him out on the 405, but I didn't. Thank you for your direction, God. That family member, they needed it, but I didn't give it to them this time, Lord. I wanted it. Thank you for that direction, God. Thank you. For, and now God's grace is stuck to us. And I should say this, we are stuck to God's grace. So then the areas that we used to feel resistance and distance from God, that even those circumstances and situations may not have changed in those areas, we have the ability to be content because of God's grace. Contentment, peace, 
stillness, still waters, does not come from everything in your life being fixed because that will never happen. There is always be so, there's always going to be something to be frustrated about. There's always going to be something that isn't what you want. There can always be something that doesn't go your way. But what God's grace says, despite what you may feel, I can give you what you need and I can guide you where you need to go. And there's direction and there's grace and it's he's stuck to us. You can take a seat. When there's pride present, God is resistant, but it says God gives more grace to humility. What I love, it says, in order to be humble, what does it say? You do have to resist something. It says, resist the enemy and he will flee from you. So as pride creates resistance and distance between God, humility creates resistance and distance between us and our enemies. So oftentimes we're so focused on trying to fight our enemies that we're actually bringing them closer. Because pride is the magnet to our enemy. And we're bringing them closer. And we're hanging out with them. You ever met that person who hangs out with the person they hate? They always like talk about it. I'm like, why are you guys friends? Like, don't hang out. They're like, did, oh my God, like I swear. Last time I went to coffee with them, like they were so annoying. I'm like, why do you go to coffee with them? I don't know, like, 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 you don't have to be best friends with everyone, but that's a different sermon. Anyways, it says pride, God opposes pride, he gives grace to the humble, says resist the enemy and he will flee. So what does that mean? When there's pride present, it's like grace is magnetized to pride, pride, uh, sorry, grace is magnetized to humility, pride is magnetized to sin and to our enemies and to and so when we have pride in our life we are magnetized to following what we want and what we need and what we feel and this and that and our desires and we wonder why we can't follow the direction of the voice of God because we are stuck to our enemy and his plan his plan is to steal to kill and destroy like it said in John chapter 10 and what he's trying to do is get you to rely so much on what you feel that he can get you stuck to his plan and he can steal away your promised pasture he can steal away those steel waters he can steal away those times that God needs to restore your soul he can steal away the times when you're in the dark valley and he can get you distracted he can steal away those moments that you're in the presence of those who oppress you and God is still blessing you he wants to steal what God has for you in Psalms 23 and all all he has to do is to get us to go in the opposite direction of God's leading in our soul and then we become magnetized to his plan and we don't even know it some of us we show up every week and we have no idea that the areas we feel resistance and distance between God we have given to the plan of the enemy of just saying I'm in control so we come every week and we wonder why we still struggle. We wonder why we're still stuck. And we wonder why we never have breakthrough. It's not because God's grace isn't powerful enough or good enough. What it requires is that we submit to it and say, God, I need this more than I need that. Can we stand to our feet? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed. 